0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, we share tales as heard from the Shanghai International Film Festival, Head's role in the Game of Thrones Season 1 DVD, and we look at the films Double Trouble, Motorway, and What to Expect When You're Expecting.
1: East. Green. West. Green.
0: This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin where if films were food, they'd be full of it. and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, June 19th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me, as always, from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: What's up, everybody? How uh, you doing, how sir? How you doing, well. Good, good, good. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's,
0: uh, uh, you know, it seems like the weeks are just flying by now. It's the end of the semester, and, uh work has gotten a little bit easier for me, but, uh, you know, the, the, the wife is, uh, that much more pregnant day by day. So, uh, it's getting down to a crunch time. Uh, I don't know if that's what they call it in medical terms, but, uh, that's what I'm calling it. Uh, and, <laughs> all, all the other terms that are running through my head, financial and, and parent wise and otherwise. Um, but yeah, things are going good for me. How have things been for you?
1: Um, you know, same, odds. you know, still kind of in the middle of a freelance job, so more busy at, uh, at work, but, uh, no, I'm excited about, about what's happening at your end, man. It's
0: just... Yeah, yeah, well, uh, excited, nervous, and, uh, you know, things are just gonna be so weird to think of the change that's gonna happen, like, you know, I don't know how many shows from now, but, uh. You know, two months from now, my whole life will be kind of topsy turvy. I, I would
1: like to request that from now, from from when your your baby's here, I will call you Papa Fox.
0: <laughs> well, I'd like we'll to request see. That. We'll I'm... see. <laughs> um, I, I I may allow you that 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 one that one allowance, uh, we'll <laughs> as, as long as you don't call me that out in movie nights, we'll be okay. Um, I'll think of- Yeah, so uh, I I do want to say very quickly, uh, again, a a big thanks to our guest hosts who were with us last week on episode 112, Um, uh, uh, Dave from uh, the Hong Kong Dave, all the way from the UK, who was here. He's already back in the UK. He had a very safe trip back, and he's back doing all the things that he does in the UK. Um, We never did figure out what happened, what kind of technical issues that that we ran into there at the end of the show, but we do thank him for sticking around and talking with us about... uh, some of the films we discussed last time, and we look forward to having him on as a guest sometime soon in the future. Again, thanks to uh, Kenneth and the guys over at Podcast on Fire for loaning him to us for the short period that we had him. Uh, also, a big thanks to Marcos Bamberg, who stopped by. Um, and I would urge you, if you're interested in independent filmmaking and what some independent filmmakers are doing here in Hong Kong, to check out some of his work like Squatter Town, which he did last year. Um, he is having the, uh, a sort of a mini premiere, a closed premiere for his film that we talked about last time, Hexagon. I believe that's happening this Saturday, on the twenty-third. Um, yeah, if you're in Hong Kong and, and you're interested in that and you'd like to attend, again, go to uh, the notes page at uh, concast.com for episode one one two, and you can see some of the links that I've put in there um, for that that particular short film and and you know some of the other production aspects and facebook links and all that stuff's there in the notes and thanks again to him for stopping by and sharing that with us uh kevin we've got some news and some films to talk about this week what are we going to be looking at film wise
1: uh, for east screen we'll be talking about double trouble starring jc chan and uh also the li- newest milky way film motorway starring sean yu and anthony wong for west screen um paul you'll be talking about what to expect when you're expecting so you'll be answering that question
0: Yes, uh, I'm more than qualified to discuss that film, as we shall find out. Uh, before we get on to that, uh, let's talk about a little bit of news. Ah. <laughs> Wrong one. Always, always. Wrong finger. All right, so we've got a couple news stories this week. And uh, I lost the chat room. I don't know what happened.
1: Uh, yeah, me too. I can't seem to load it. For some uh, reason,
0: It must have crashed.
1: Yeah. No, uh, I, I I'm doing a pop out, so I mean I I can't get it either. So it must be a ustream thing.
0: Yeah, I'm mean, I'm doing the pop out too. Let's uh, yeah. see so if I can get it to come back up because we like to have our chat room to uh, bounce stuff off of.
1: It's it's very likely a uh,
0: I think it's a ustream issue.
1: It's very likely so. Also, um, <clears> if I was wondering, I blocker and stuff.
0: Well, uh, you, you know, if you're out there in the chat room and you're popping in at some time, we do apologize if it's not up. We'll try and get it up later in the show. But we do have some news to talk about this week. Um, up first, a couple of tales from the SIF, uh, the Shanghai International Film Festival, uh, that uh, these kind of caught my eye. And I know, Kevin, you were tweeting earlier about some, some of the stories coming out and some of the... Uh, rather heated discussions from what it sounded like uh, on some of your tweets uh, that were, are going on about Chinese cinema and where the industry is heading um, and what kind of, you know, things are, are being looked at about the future. Um, this first story coming from one of our favorite sites, Film Biz Asia, um, titled uh, Chinese Storytelling Sparks Lively Debate, coming from Patrick Freider from yesterday, Monday, uh, June 18th. Um, it It looks at a at a panel of uh Chinese and US filmmakers um during the first day and they sort of got off to a discussion on uh you know, the idea of Chinese storytelling uh, this included uh director Fang Xiaogang um and some um American speakers as well uh some of the more interesting comments that came out of that is uh um one of the one of the one of the comments said that there are no Chinese film directors who do well in international markets except those doing martial arts. Uh, we are very weak, though we tend to think of ourselves as very strong. Getting into, uh, sorry, it says uh, further. It says, uh, in fact, we we are a country of counterfeits. We have fake milk powder, fixed football matches, manipulated box office results, and counterfeit DVDs. Um, and I believe it was Fang Xiaogang who was saying that.
1: Yes, he actually also had a follow-up comment right after that. He said he um, once went to a, um, a counterfeit anti anti pirated DVD um, uh, rally in Beijing yeah. in uh, in a, in a big stadium of like eighteen thousand people, and <clears throat> and the host is actually actor, Zhang Guoli. Uh, he played, I think, uh, Zhang Kai-shek in Final Republic, if you remember. Um, and he was very passionate. He he asked the audience, do you actually watch pirated DVDs? How many of you actually watch pirated DVDs? And Feng Xiaogang said, it would seem that Mr. Zhang uh, overestimated his audience because then 18,500 people all screamed, yes.
0: <laughs> well... So,
1: yes. So, so that's that's what Feng Xiaogang is talking about.
0: Yes. Interesting. Um, The the article also goes on uh, a little bit earlier. It says, um, movies are getting bigger, louder, edits are getting shorter, and there are more storylines as Hollywood is making movies for types rather than people. They are about escapism, fantasy, cartoons, and robots. I'm not interested in any of these things. Uh, This was uh, screenwriter Nicholas Meyer. Uh, Later producer Gary Kurtz said that Hollywood films that have been successful in China, like Transformers, have no story at all. Um, I mean, I know they're kind of singling out China as both a, 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 you know, Chinese film production and Chinese audiences as consumers, but I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Transformers was doing equally, equally well in the United States. You know, it was, uh, it made money and that's why we got a Transformers 2 and that's why we got a Transformers 3, right? Um, so I think, that in some ways it seems like they're signaling out the Chinese audience here, but don't they have to point the finger at themselves?
1: Well, the, the, the reason for that is this year, uh, especially in this year, uh, you, you see that um, foreign box office uh, growth for films have actually be hi- been higher than the domestic growth of films. For, say, example, uh, Battleship has done a lot better in China than, say, even in America. Um, and the same can be said for even for Men in Black 3, which has already made 420 million renminbi uh, as opposed to 150 million U.S. dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it is a very crucial, become a very crucial market, Chinese market. And this year is also kind of a cross crossroads for the Chinese film industry because um, there's a year where there are no, there is no clear Chinese blockbuster it is a very critical period where uh, the audiences have finally, the bubble has fin- is starting to pop, show signs of popping as Hollywood films continue to do better. The quota was relaxed earlier this year, and Chinese cinema has been uh, has lost its, uh, the, its audience's faith. Mm. So it is a very critical period, and is a very good time to bring up what is wrong with Chinese cinema. Is it still okay to blame Hollywood, Hollywood invasion for, for the failures of Chinese cinema? Mm. Um, and Feng Gun brings it, you know, he's right it's, it's it, the Chinese filmmakers have to stop making movies that are about themselves about the directors themselves, uh, they have to stop making movies um, for themselves but for audiences, finally realizing what audiences want instead of just throwing out, you know, money these short, cheap uh, money money grab uh, this afternoon I saw a trailer for, for a film, a mini-yang romantic comedy called Holding Love, and you watch it and you wonder. You don't have to wonder anymore why people went went to watch *Men in Black 3* instead of, you know, something like um, *Who in the Mirror*, the the horror film starring boys Kenny Kwan. You know, that's it's very clear because all Chinese cinema is still is doing what exactly what Hong Kong cinema did um, in its heyday is that cheap, quick money grab, trying to make a buck instead of, you know. Real movies with production values. Well, and it's paying the same ticket prices.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's the, that's the point I was going to try and bring up. I mean, is it the case of you know you're going to spend I don't know what what was the ticket price last time you went into Shenzhen?
1: It was like eighty RMB, yeah, which so, is much more expensive than a movie in Hong Kong. So that's
0: like you know just over just around ten dollars or eleven dollars US. Right.
1: I mean, twelve. Even. Twelve. Yeah. yeah.
0: So wow. you're gonna spend that to see a movie. Do you want to spend that seeing a movie that had a budget of, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars with a lot of fancy special effects and 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 stupid robots and and green jelly eating people and stuff like that, or do you want to see a movie that had a tenth of that budget, that, you know, features a girl like Minnie Yang? I mean. I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe what the industry needs is it needs some kind of valuation on ticket price based on you know the budget of a film. I, I mean, we kind of see that now with three D films, right?
1: Yeah, I don't even really, I don't even think it's a matter of budget. I think filmmakers they can they can keep using the idea of budget to 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 boost their movies, and that doesn't help the quality at all. Look at how much money they spent on um. Let's say they spent 125 million dollar on Wu and you know that 25 million of those went to Donnie Yen. You know how many of that? How much of that movie really went to making the production look good, or making the script better, or or you know having better direction, or hiring a better director? It's it's all about these these you know fake promotional promotional um uh, title promotional um gimmicks. Uh, there are it, it, it no one really talks about quality anymore. It's created quality, as in I'm telling you that's where our quality lies, as opposed to here this is my just telling a simple story, a good story, and told well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean I think again, part of the problem though is that would we if all tickets were a hundred Hong Kong dollars, would we still go and spend money to watch stuff like Mysterious Island or Exactly. Uh, Virtual recall in the cinema. We have options because we can go to a cheap theater. We can go to a place like the Dynasty where, you know, tickets are considerably less, um, you know, but even so, I mean, uh, we still sometimes question the merits of that, you know, Uh, maybe it would, maybe those movies would be more attractive if they were $25 instead of $40.
1: I think perhaps that's why the the so-called, the director system is much more effective in Chinese cinema because when you watch, say, a movie by Zhang Wen, you watch a Feng Shaogang movie, you watch a Zhang Yimou movie, at least you know, you know you're know you getting some kind of quality. Because stars never never guarantee quality. I think we, us who watch Hong Kong cinema and watch Chinese cinema, we all know that stars never promise quality. But we know that directors, certain directors can promise quality. Mm. Which is why, I think, in China, Chinese cinema, directors can still be stars.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Going further along these same lines, another story uh, coming from film is Asia, also out of SIFF, um, Chinese cinema at a crossroads. This story coming from Stephen Kremen today, uh, on June nineteenth. Um, another panel at, at the festival um, talks a little bit about uh, the, the notion of Chinese cinema itself and some of the problems and and some of the potential that it currently has. Um, Stanley Tong was one of the one of the panel members and he said that uh uh you know he's basically got plans for a hollywood of the east um talking about some of the stuff that's going on in shanghai's uh, pudong district um also in the article it talks a little bit about uh, the industry um being lazy and this coming from um uh, where is it? uh Andre Morgan, okay. Uh, He says uh, he criticized the industry for being lazy at developing local talent, which he described as the lifeblood of the Chinese Chinese film industry. Uh, He called on the private sector and the government to support young directors, scriptwriters, and actors. He said that uh, after listening to speeches at Shanghai and other forums since 2000, it was now time to put talk into action uh, by, for example, building cinemas in more cities, clarifying the laws regarding video on demand, and increasing... The number of national distribution chains none of which are currently uh, headquartered in shanghai um so i think that first that's sort of an interesting an interesting point he goes on further to say that um china has nothing nothing to fear from hollywood itself um which has never produced 34 good films in a single year <laughs> uh, he says that uh sarf should be open should open the floodgates for Uh, 18 months so that Chinese audiences can just see all the garbage uh, that actually American films churn out. Um, And he says, from his own experiences in Hong Kong, Morgan claimed that local films would then regain their box office share. Um, He says, there is nothing that the Chinese industry needs to fear from healthy competition. Um, I don't know, do you you agree with him in in some of what he's saying?
1: Well, first of all, this is the man who screwed over Peter Chan on Warlord, so I stopped listening to him. Honestly, <laughs> um, this is th- Hong Kong has healthy competition, and look at what happened. It's not a matter of competition or not; it's a matter of Hollywood makes better-looking films that that let's face it. Um, are better better values. We were just talk about this earlier, um, and it's a vicious cycle because you because you look at Hong Kong is that's exactly what happened. The industry alienated its audiences, and then its audiences won't give any more chance to local films, and then local local filmmakers have returned to China because they still have an audience that will pretty much watch anything. Hmm. So it's it's a vicious cycle, and I'm very afraid that 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 Chinese audiences are starting to get the idea as well, and then continuing this cycle in china where people just stopped watching mainland films especially in cinemas because you know uh it's not worth watching they, they figure it's not worth watching anymore and then just turn to hollywood films um it's it's uh, it's back to quality it's all about quality stupid you know it's it's it, it, you can't beat china you can't be hollywood you know because you you only have 10 for the budget and you only have 10 for the talent i mean at least uh, technically um and you can't beat them on on production values hmm. there's no way um, no, nothing in Asia can actually beat Hollywood in terms of production value. Let's face it. Um, so you have to beat them on quality. Um, you know, look at look, Let the Bullets Fly. Let the Bullets Fly. Um, only has sixteen million US budget, and it turned out something that that um, that related to Chinese audiences that they they got a gig, gig, you know, they got a, they really enjoyed, and and it's a genuinely good movie even with a lower budget. Hmm. So it's not about budget. It's not about production value. It's not about spectacle. It's about the quality. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the thing is, the Chinese film industry, Hong Kong film industry has always you know been about money grabbing and, and cashing as quickly as possible. So what can you do? What, what can you do to stop the cycle? I don't know. It's yeah. it's a very, I don't think we should open up. But I, I think that even even Korea, when they had the, the domestic quota, they did not really begin to expand their film industry until they started making good movies. Yeah. So, yeah, so they can look at protectionist, um, protectionist policies, but it's still about the quality. Mm.
0: Um, towards the end of the article, it says a second panel was moderated by um, an additional group of people, one of those being uh, MPA Asia's William Fung, who um, repeatedly brought back to the discussion that the, there's a potential of Shanghai as a creative hub for China's film industry, Uh, pointing out that both Rovio, the creator of Angry Birds, uh, the the very famous video game franchise, and DreamWorks have chosen the city over Beijing as their China base. Um, So what are your thoughts on this as a person who's kind of sort of halfway in the industry I would say, you know, because it's not your full-time job yet because you're doing freelance work, but I'm sure you'd like to move more directly into that area. But is Hong Kong dried up is it getting passed over
1: hong kong has has its advantages but it doesn't have the space to to or and the distance is too far because you have everything that's happening in beijing and you want to stay close enough we, we want to be within you know that happening because in hong kong you can't really view what's happening in within mainland china mm-hmm. but um, i mean do you sh-
0: think do you think shanghai it, i mean if there's going to be a hollywood of the east is it beijing or is it shanghai is it someplace else
1: I think it's ridiculous to say there's a Hollywood of the East because because Asia is so fragmented. You can't have one place that's kind of like Hollywood where all the productions are 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 based. But if you talk about creative hub, I would I've never been to I, I, let's face it, i never been to Beijing nor 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 Shanghai. But um, I think Shanghai is more of a, cre- a commercial city, and it's better for commercial activities than say Beijing. I'm not sure, but it certainly just, Shanghai certainly come come off of that impression more to me and i would uh i would i would say that shanghai might be a more suitable place to be uh, become a creative commercial creative hub
0: mm.
1: for chinese food industry uh but then you remember you got the um the the what was it china wood that's that's yeah. developing in Tianjin Wood, <laughs> china wood and actually because of its proximity to beijing without having to deal with the hassles of living in beijing that could also work out yeah because you know, if, you, if anyone has lived in Beijing, apparently has told me that living there is is a huge hassle, especially around getting around the city itself. So, if you have um have a place that's close to Beijing but without having to you know deal with the troubles of living within Beijing, then you know it might work.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh, you know,
1: you have <laughs> to have a hub. I think I I I think you do have to have some kind of center where everything is happening. That is true. And right now. Uh, it would seem like that center is Beijing, but um, it seems like the industry is so is still developing. And everyone is still kind of fragmented. And no one really knows because everyone wants on it. So it seems like it's really fragmented. It's really really spaced out around the country to the big tiers, the major cities, and you don't really know where's a hub. Hmm. So, um, but it would be interesting to see how this China would or you know how Shanghai pan pan out.
0: Yeah, we'll have to. Uh... We'll have to wait and see. I, you know, the Angry Birds thing, I was... I, I mentioned that news to to my wife, and she just laughed. And and <laughs> and then I started laughing, and the reason is because, I mean, you go to China, and sure, Angry Birds is big, but it's like, it's all it's all fake stuff. You know, we, we got done talking about the comment, you know, about the, the issues with the problems of fakery in China. I mean, everywhere you look, even here in Hong Kong, there's tons and tons of uh, Angry Birds stuff, the dolls, toys... Um, even some, like you go to the, the, some of the Maxim cake shops and they've got little Angry Birds cakes you can buy, <laughs> you know, and Rovio, I don't, Rovio, I don't think has a piece of any of that. And I, I just, I wish them luck. I really do. Um, but I think they're coming into the market way too late though.
1: I think MTR and, and Maxim, you, they, they do pay a share to Rovio. Do they? But yeah. The, the, fake, they probably do cause they need, I'm sure they need some kind of, cause it's so big a brand you can't get away with it. But yeah, um, I, I don't think the, 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 the cheap, $10 toys that we buy half an
0: year. Mm. Um, all right. Well, our final story, uh, he- heading a little bit back towards, uh, the Western side of the planet, uh, Game of Thrones season one has more Bush than expected. Um, <laughs> hey. sorry, a little bit of pun there. <laughs> hey. Um, so this story has been all over the web. Um, you just do a search for, uh, George Bush Game of Thrones. And you probably heard this already. I came across this, um, Uh, about the middle of the week last week, I think it was on io9 when I first uh, discovered it, Um, apparently a a model of George Bush's head uh, was put on a stake, uh, you know, a beheaded head put up on a stake in one of the final scenes of uh, Game of Thrones season one. And so the the word got out about this and, uh, uh, and suddenly it was all a big hubbub. And HBO had to come out and apologize. And they actually have since pulled uh, the Season 1 DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, and they will re-release them with that footage somehow edited. So if you're like me and you're like Mr. Ma and you have a Season 1 DVD or Blu-ray, uh, hang on to it because it's probably going to be worth some money someday because uh, that version will no longer be sold on store shelves. Um, I, I mean i i okay you know basically (laughs) basically the story is certainly political the main reason uh, from what i understand that it got out was that it's from the commentary track right that they were actually talking about this on the commentary track and that's how it got out if you look at the scene it goes by so fast you can't even tell really um but they've got some freeze frames up where you can see it and it does kind of look like uh w and uh so yeah you know there's that um I don't know. What do you think about this, Kevin? Is this um, is this? I, is this uh, do you feel offended that your former president was uh, was uh, beheaded and staked? At least a likeness.
1: I'm a Democrat at heart, man. Of course, I'm not. <laughs> I'm a Democrat at heart. So uh, you know, by all means, actually, we posted this story on my Weibo, and mm-hmm. I said, "This is democracy. It's not a simple thing as you know, everyone, each person having one vote." It's the idea that you can you can criticize your political leaders or you can lampoon your critical uh, your 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 leaders without be, you know being afraid of persecution, and this is what democracy is about: It's freedom. Yeah, well, uh, there, there are course, some
0: stories out there that this wasn't really even a political thing. It was. It's not. Yeah, they had they a had mold of his head, and they needed heads for the shot, and uh, they just grabbed it and put it up.
1: Yes, exactly. So what's the big deal? I mean, in China, of course, you know. No one would dare to do this, yeah. but yeah, it it just I, I was just amused. Interesting
0: know, like... too to think that what if this was a um I'm I'm you know I'm thinking of like other other shows that are in the same vein like uh, the show Hell on Wheels. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Um, it's a it's a western, and it takes place sort of in the post Civil War era. Um, so it's got it's got a lot of racial tensions in it. They use the N word. On occasion it's it's pretty it's pretty gritty um but it's also very well acted um but i you know i was thinking what if you know they did a similar thing with a likeness of obama i think yeah that would be a really big deal for uh, a lot of people so um i don't know i i think it's kind of silly for hbo to do a recall and 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 simply you know produce a re-edit for this but um I think they could have just denied it or, or something or just come out and said, you know, sorry, or I don't know. They they could have said it it wasn't George Bush. It was Will Ferrell, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing, you can't even tell. It's like the back of his head or something. Yeah. Get it. Um, but
0: the interesting thing is if you look at this, some of the, di- the, some of the different headlines or taglines that, that, uh, some of the different news sites. So I'm looking at the, uh, Guardian, uh, from the UK it says their headline was, uh, Uh, Where is it here? Oh, you don't want to load, do you? Oh, here it is. Head of State. (laughs) Game of Thrones. Sorry about decapitating decapitating George W. Bush. Um, So that's a pretty good one. Uh, Here's one. I mean, talking about about making things a little bit political. uh, This one, of course, from uh, Fox News. Uh, HBO's Game of Thrones... Parades, President George W. Bush's decapitated head on a stick. Um, you know, I get it, Fox News. You've got to kind of spin it to make it sound worse than it is because um, you want to politicize it a little bit. There's no parade. Like I said, I've watched I watched it, you know, I watched the series when it ran. I watched it on DVD. I, I never knew, you know. It's not, it's not like a. they make a big, huge parade or a big deal about it. Yeah, you won't
1: um, be able to tell that it's just heading in a show, remember? Yeah,
0: it's it's just, it's it's not even that close up of a shot. Now. But anyway, there's that. It's it's humorous news for the video geek out there. Um, but if you do have the, if you do have a set, hold on to it, because you might be able to pawn it off on eBay for a little bit more but, uh, than you paid for it in the future.
1: I gotta get my Blu-ray back from Kozo.
0: Yeah, oh, it, it might be on eBay already. <laughs>
1: <You're a> bastard. <laughs> All
0: right, shall we move on and talk about some movies?
1: Yeah.
0: Alright, so we've got two e-screen films to talk about this week. Up first, uh, the latest from JC Chan, who is the son of world famous actor, action superstar Jackie Chan, uh called Double Trouble. Um, so this is a film um that's kind of I mean uh I guess the easiest way to describe it is kind of like a rush hour clone. As I was watching this, that's exactly what I kept thinking is that this is uh, trying to be like rush hour in, in what it does. And basically it tells the story of um, in Taipei at the uh, national, I think it's the national Taiwan museum. They're getting ready to have an exhibit of a 400 year old um, national painting. It's a national treasure. And uh, uh, JC Chan plays a character named Jay, who's on part of the security team in charge of security for the museum uh, to protect it. Uh, Now, there's a bad guy who's called Crime Boss Z. Now, (laughs) right there, from that name alone, this should kind of set the tone uh, for the film. So this International Crime Boss Z, who looks like, uh, you know, a male model who'd be on the front of a GQ magazine, um, he wants to steal the, the painting for some reason that's explained that it's kind of lame that you find out later on but he he's wants to steal the painting and to do this he's got the aid of two female assassins who remain unnamed uh throughout the film one of the female assassins is played by jessica c who's a fairly well-known model here in hong kong i'm not sure if she's that well-known in mainland or in uh, taiwan
1: and a fairly uh, well-known crappy actress
0: Yeah, but she is the, uh, if you look at the local poster, the Taiwan poster, which I'll try and put up on the site, uh, JC Chan is featured heavily, and she is featured heavily, even though she's not really that, I think she's got like two points of dialogue in the whole film. Mostly she's just eye candy and and doing a a couple action sequences. Um, But she and, and another girl play the assassins slash thieves who are in charge of stealing it. So they try and steal it. Um, the event gets bungled a little bit because of the interference of a character named Ocean, uh, who's played by Xiaoyu Yu, uh, who's from the mainland. He is also a security card uh, in sort of his hometown, and he has been, he won a prize to uh, come on tour uh, to Taiwan. And, you know, because of sort of a bumbling mishap, um, things get turned around, and he ends up sort of partnering uh, with J.C. Chan as they try and track down this painting and stop the international crime boss Z, and of course hilarity ensues—or so they would like us to believe. <laughs> um, if you're really watching this from a Hong Kong perspective, you're uh, you're seeing this for J.C. I, I'm not sure how big Shao Yu is in China. I mean, maybe he's a you know a leading draw for people there. Um, but you know, the, the main thing that got me into the cinema was, you know, was Jackie Chan's son and I've seen him in stuff, you know, uh, breakup club and other things that I've liked him in. Um, and this is sort of the first attempt of him to really try and step into his dad's shoes, which I think is interesting. Um, but it's kind of mismatched because he's really good with the comedy parts, but I think he's got a long way to go with the action. Um, they, they get him to do some of his own stunts, but he just doesn't have the pep. He he doesn't have the spark uh, that his dad seemed to have, and um, obviously he doesn't have the training that his dad had, and and that might be part of it. I don't know if he plans to go further down this road, but I I don't think his dad had anything to do with this movie, did he?
1: No, he didn't. But he did. But but J C did have that one impressive stunt. Where he jumps off the the thing and then lands on the sand, even though there's wires, but it was that was uh, his own stunt. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think he had another one where he was like running down a slope, um, in the beginning at the university yeah. when he was, ch- and and that looked like it was done all by him. Um, but you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it just it 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 doesn't come across, and it might not. I'm not saying it's necessarily J.C.'s fault, but it looked like maybe the some of the stunt, the, some of the fight coordination, and some of the stunt coordination wasn't as well-designed as it might have been if it would have been Jackie Chan's team doing it. Um, I don't know. I, this is just me sort of talking from, you know, a long history of seeing Jackie Chan stuff and seeing the outtakes at the end of Jackie Chan films and things oh, like this. The
1: the, uh, the action was done by Nikki Lee, who is uh, essentially, I think, Wu Jing's mentor mm. and done a lot of Hong Kong films. But uh, I think it might have been more of a filmmaking slash budget issues. You're right. The action did seem a little off. In places
0: um and and again i don't I, i'm not saying that you know jc doesn't have the potential uh there i think uh, acting wise and comedy wise he's already more than proved himself um but sort of as an action uh leading person um i think i think he probably needs some more training some uh, a better coordinator better action director perhaps um to, to, just to make him look better some of the action in this Uh, just didn't come across. One scene in particular, I was thinking, uh, there's a scene where they're fighting on top of a moving bus, and it very quickly goes from a real stunt, well actually it's like a close-up of people hanging off the side of a bus, and you can kind of tell they're not really moving very fast, if at all, um, because of the way the shot is done, and then suddenly they're on top of the bus, and then it's all green screen stuff. Uh, Had it been Jackie Chan doing it, the whole thing would have been like a long shot. So you would have seen the bus moving. You would have seen Jackie hanging off the side of the bus. You would have seen himself go up on top of the bus. And then you would have seen him fight on top of the bus while it was moving, you know, but (laughs) that's, that's very much eighties early nineties, Jackie Chan stuff when he was um, really crazy. He's not as crazy anymore because he's older. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, uh, you know, the limitation of Jay-Z because he doesn't have that same kind of training. Um, there's a there seems to be a bunch of in jokes here, and I didn't get a lot of them. Um there especially there was a, a a scene at the end between a gangster character and the tour guide who are you know pretty prominent minor characters in the film where they sort of face off and it seems like there's something going on there that extends beyond the film uh that you would know if you were really invested in in, in Taiwan cinema and, and who these people are. Um it was totally lost on me. Um, but some of the gags work, some of them don't. Uh, again, the crime boss was really a cardboard villain. He speaks in English um, for most of his lines. Um, it's very halting English.
1: Um, I think it's fluent English.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's but, just, it seems unnatural. But it's badly but, yeah, the dialogue, yes. the things he's saying. Um, he reminds me of, of Maggie Q in a lot of ways. I don't know why. It was like if somebody turned Maggie Q into a dude. Uh, i kind of got the feeling that that's what she she would look like
1: Um, i I was thinking i was thinking if someone turned jessica c into a dude dusty yeah (laughs) maybe maybe i don't know
0: um you know there's just a really weird scene like in the in the very early part of the film the the initial heist uh gets bungled and so as punishment he ties the girls he ties the two girls up and he's doing a workout and I can't <laughs> tell because they're tied up. It's really mishmash. It's not like they're connected to anything. It's just like they have all these, these, these ropes hanging off of them and it's kind of like a leather bondage kind of a scene. Yeah. It's like bad and, kinky bondage. Yeah, and it's like just weird eye candy. And it doesn't, I, I, I didn't understand the connection of how he was actually torturing them because like, <laughs> it was just weird. Um, I think that this film had potential to be a lot better than it was with a better script and and maybe um, some more bigger names in terms of some of the casting. I think that they could have really done because I I found that the dynamic here really interesting, the Taiwan uh, China dynamic of the buddy duo, and I think that there was a lot of you know sort of like you know the back in the in the eighties, you know the her Fatal Ways stuff where it was all about the Hong Kong slash China. Um, you know, partnership and and some of the comedy that they they got out of that. I think they could have done that here. Um, And I think they they had a lot more potential. They just, they kind of stuck with the color by numbers narrative. And and, and you've seen these kind of jokes before. Um, The fight scenes were okay, but nothing really, nothing really great. Um, Nothing really stood out. Even the final fight, I felt, was kind of underwhelming. Uh, And overall, it was just, it was really cartoonish and it just didn't really feel very fresh. Um that being said, I'd say you know, if you're lo- interested in seeing, you know, uh how Jackie's son is doing and and what he's doing and and you know, his attempt to sort of step into his dad's shoes for a bit, I I'd say TV it. Uh, it's not a great film, but it's not a terrible film either. Kevin?
1: Yeah, okay. Um <laughs> you know it's pretty it's pretty standard buddy comedy stuff um and you were talking about how you know you would you would want to see a more um in-depth exploration of the of the uh Taiwan China mainland China um dynamics and it makes me wonder whether whether Sarft had anything to do with with that with the uh lack of that mm. uh because the script had to be is a co-production so the, so the script had to be approved by by Sarft um but the thing is i wouldn't even get it i wouldn't even think that sarf would bother to try to censor a movie like this um it, like i said it's pretty standard buddy comedy like you said rush hour formula um but i think directed much more incompetently um the narrative makes absolutely no sense uh for i'll give two examples for example they had a tr- the, the bad guys put a tracker on the scroll that they stole and yet they take three days to get it back
0: did they have a tracker? See, I missed that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, that point, on the cell one phone. part I was thinking, you know, because they were like chasing down the bus on the motorcycle. I'm like, how did they find <clears> them? <throat> how did they know where they were going?
1: Yeah, they had it on a, the back. I had it on a cell phone. we right after the bondage thing. Mm,
0: okay. And
1: then, and then I'm like, yeah. Why did this go to the hotel when you know they're not moving on a bus to get it? um so so it made that that you know, that that whole thing already makes no sense and of course when they once they steal the painting they wait like five days to leave the harbor so then they could have the final showdown but anyway <laughs> and then and then the um then thing is the the um the buddy thing where um they're in the mountains and then they're like yeah we go go find this guy we gotta go talk to this guy to, to get talk to this other guy but yet that night they take a detour to the cemetery for like five hours yeah <laughs> and like, then they wait till the next day let's have a beer yeah, it has some beer, Like yeah, the guy And JC's talking about having to clear his name, but he's like, yeah, let's take a detour to the cemetery so I can tell you about my dead friend. It makes no sense. You could drive an uh, 18-wheeler through the narrative holes in this movie. Um, And the whole thing is, I felt like I was going through a checklist rather than like a real narrative. Yeah. Because, uh, just like Bad Girls a couple of weeks ago, it's like, okay, here's the part where they, they meet but well, misunderstanding. Yeah, you know, it, and it, now here's...
0: that you mention it, it does... It, it, it it feels like it's, it's very much they just took plot points and listed them out and Bad Girls had that same kind of problem.
1: Yes, I, I think that's the whole thing about uh, growing pains of Taiwanese commercial cinema where they're trying to get their footing back and, and they're trying to deliver things uh, based on formula rather than, you know, real storytelling. And I guess this is kind of part of the problem. Um, but those, of course, those are major problems that you can't really ignore. But let's talk about good things here. Uh, I, think J, J, I think JC does a great... Impression of young Jackie throughout the entire movie. Um, I thought he's a he's a good action, even though you know he's not a trained action actor. But I think he pulls off the stunt pretty well, and I think he's a great comic actor. He has good com- uh, comic timing, and um, he, he he's of, certainly
0: come a long way since what was it, uh, Twins with, Effect Two?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. he's definitely a lot more confident now and a lot more charming than you know, too young where he was playing this dumb, dumb, you know.
0: But, you know, I, I'm i just thinking as I'm watching this movie, I'm J.C. Chan, and I'm on this film, and I'm doing action. Maybe I'll just give Dad a call, and, you know, he can come over and, uh, you know, uh, give me some advice or, or bring over a couple buddies and just make sure, you know, things are coming off a bit punchy. I don't know. maybe. No, they're...
1: because you got Nikki Lee, a veteran Hong Kong action choreographer already right there, working there, and two... Um, you know J C is trying to step out of his uh, dad's shadow, and his dad has publicly said that he's not very particularly supportive of his son's own work anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah. So you could, you, you know, you don't but want. This to... This is use not the attention.
0: movie you want to use to step out of your dad's shadow.
1: <laughs> yes, but but you don't want to see. You don't want if J C wants to avoid the Jackie Jackie connection. You know, he wouldn't do something like that. But you no, know, nevertheless, he does a pretty good. I think he's a pre, he he channels a young Jackie Chan here about the you know the big uh, complex martial arts stuff. Uh, I think he's turned out to be a pretty good comic actor. I think he has a great future ahead. I'm starting to starting to look forward actually to look forward to JC's movies now. Um, but Sha Yu on the other hand was Wong Bao Chang not available <laughs> because Sha Yu was just doing what well, Sha Yu is a is a serious actor with some serious films and and he was just doing like a stuttering Wong Bao Chang impression. It was very very annoying. Mm. Very annoying. I and and we talk about you know the tour guy Chang Han Dian who's a who's a very actually very uh who's the lead in soul bread and uh, he's actually a very well known a uh, variety show uh, not host but kind of a co-host um, sidekick character. Uh, he actually in a monologue he a huge monologue he refers to the show that he's on. Uh, uh when when the subtitle is referred to as you know Factor F- X Factor and Simon Cowell and all that he's actually talking about the show that he's on mm.
0: in,
1: in Mandarin. Um, and even when he's hamming up like that, he's still less annoying than Shayu. And, and that's very difficult to do. So Shayu very, very, I think uh, Ross uh, Kozo Ross uh, mentioned it is that he's very close to being voted as most annoying. Uh, and I would I would put in a vote so far. Um, so yes, there were cultural in jokes. So You wanted to know, Paul, uh, the gangster character also uh, I think a TV TV staple, and so is Chang Han Dan. Taiwan is a uh, Taiwan's television industry, uh, industry is much more. Uh, uh, it affects pop culture much more than cinema, so you will see many television pop personalities end up on 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 film uh, as a way of fan service or or you know to to amuse Taiwanese audiences. So I think I think the two character the two uh, figures match spacing uh, off those are like because even um uh, Shelly who's been on a show before even she asked oh how was the the guy who played the gangster mm-hmm. because she knows him from from uh, Taiwanese television shows. So yes, um these are cultural in jokes that can't that cannot be translated into subtitles no there was another
0: there was another. there there were a couple scenes that were just really weird um yeah. that 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 one scene where the the gangster character and the and the uh tour guide face off like i said i didn't really catch that but there was another scene where they went to the temple and they were uh you know they were both doing you know the the bison right they were praying in yeah. the temple and and these two guys walk up behind them and they, they just say you're doing it wrong
1: yeah, that's what I'm wondering.
0: Do you remember I that no scene? Was. And I was yeah, like, it, and w- it probably w- w- cut off. Yeah. W- were those the directors? Was were those some walk was that another walk on gag that I didn't get? Um, there were just a couple of moments like that that
1: I think just... that's that's a walk on gag. And actually the scene after the next temple visit where they get beaten up by the guys in masks, and yeah. then, you know, the yeah. front directly stolen from God of Cookery. <laughs> Directly stolen, cause it had to happen to the golden. That's one of my favorite gags from God of Cookery. The Shaolin eighteen monks um throwing off uh, uh, moves while the the other monks, you know, beat up Stephen Chow <laughs> with uh, with the folded chair. That's one of my favorite gags from that movie. And I've seen that movie like ten times, so I recognize it whenever it shows up. Yeah, when it shows up, in this movie. Um, but so that's what well, that's not a cultural in joke. That's just that's just a total rip off of God of Cookery. But anyway, um. Nevertheless, I mean, as bad as a movie is, I, I laughed and I was very amused, and I think J C was uh, J C was good. So, you know, there are redeeming points, so to speak, to it. But yeah, the movie isn't good. Um, so, if you're interested and you believe me about J C's performance, I would say it's worth TVing. But um, don't don't expect you know a very good movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's it.
0: All right, let's uh, talk about our second film so also up for the e-screen this week we have uh the latest from sean yu and anthony wong chao sang that is motorway now i haven't seen this yet kevin but you have so take it away
1: yeah if, if you're listening to this live we were this a review that's coming out before the actual release of the film so i'm quite Excited. But anyway, sorry. Uh yes, yeah, so Motorway is the latest film from Milky Way, uh Milky Way films, uh produced by Johnny Toe and directed by Soy Chang, who last directed accident and also has the three D Monkey King movie coming out um next year. Uh this film had kind of trouble not trouble production but more like a typical Milky Way production where it gets really dragged out and you never know why it took so long to shoot, because the film is actually quite simple. Uh Shang Yu um, the, the basic idea is that it's about two cops. Uh, played by Sean Yu and Anthony Wong, they're in the uh, Hong Kong police so-called Invisible Squad, which is a, a squad, a, a, a team of cops that drive in uh, plane vehicles, uh, trying to catch, and, and, you know, more powerful vehicles than your typical police, police-issued vehicles uh, that catch uh, illegal drivers uh, or illegal racers on the road. Um, so uh, Sean Yu plays uh, Chan, who is kind of a cocky, young, um, uh, arrogant driver who thinks that he's good enough to, to catch any car on the road. And um, when he can't catch people in, in uniform, he goes and, and puts modification on his car just to get revenge uh, on, on the race, on, on, the, on the highway. That, he's that kind of arrogant. Uh, his partner is uh, Low, played by Anthony Wong, and uh, very kind of a the books, a uh, few days away from retirement type, uh, older veteran, uh, who's kind of taking it easy and, and don't worry about it that kind of attitude even though uh his his character his persona kind of suggests that he had once uh, had a past where he was once like chan um a criminal one day a criminal from china uh jiang Xing, played by guo Xiaodong, dong comes out to china and he's hired to um break a friend out of prison uh and in the in the in the uh during the the process of escaping he he traps chan into a cul-de-sac and um and kind of puts down chan's uh confidence in, the, in his driving so uh the the rest of the film is about how uh, low helps him rebuild his confidence and and learn that driving isn't about speed but uh, but it's also about you know your real technique so he learns how to drive as in he learns how to wait move. this
0: is a a movie about driving starring Anthony Wong. Are you sure it's not an Initial D sequel?
1: Right, it's it is a reunion uh, of of Initial D stars, but I think it's a much better film, uh, and I will talk about that a little bit now. Um, the plot, let's face it, it it is really generic. You know, cop, uh, cop, uh, arrogant cop learns to become more humble uh, and learns how learns to become a better cop through through humility. Uh, and fights you know takes down a mainland criminal quite old-fashioned um welcome back the mandarin speaking villain um (laughs) instead it's all about characters Uh, again personal growth and the bond between the two characters and driving finally it's a movie with driving about driving it's not a heist movie anymore it's not a gangster revenge flick it's a movie where you know real driving skills are actually um it has to have something to do with the plot uh the car chases are are choreographed by Chinka lock who you can see every weekend on hong kong tv uh putting putting hong kong celebrities through hell by by drifting around empty fields. Not,
0: not 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 just hong kong celebrities but typically langmos right
1: oh langmos right <laughs> did you actually ross asked me to ask you this sorry a little for the detour did you watch steffi and in the, in the, he asked me to ask you to you watch steffi in the episode over the weekend
0: I, I did not no I, I missed but she it.
1: did not she did not undergo the the car the car torture I me. think she's too big yeah sadly yeah uh, but yes obviously so Chin Calog always know how to drive and I think the car chases by him here I think there are some of the best car chases I've seen from Hong Kong in recent years um because the emphasis is on moves it's not about speed because let's face it you're trying to do a a car chase in hong kong that's you know with speed it'll be over in about two minutes that's how small hong kong is Um, that's how few highways we have so it's all about technique it's all about um fluidity it's not about speed uh and it's it's all about real driving techniques because the the main technique in the film is learning how to turn essentially turn without moving the car without going forward is to, is to use the, um, the, 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 the horsepower, uh, to turn the car at two kilometers per second to get out really tight corners. And that's real driving technique, right? Um, Sean Yu's okay. He's kind of, you know, your typical cold, arrogant cop. And he does, he gets a little more emotional on the way, but, you know, he's okay as a lead. It's Anthony Wong, who's really great here as the partner, um, and uh, Michelle Ye plays uh, Anthony Wong's wife, has a good couple of good moments. Um, the movie underwent major reshoots. The movie took two years to shoot. And according to Soi Chang, they, him and his producer, Johnny To, they agree that the first version of the film they did kind of failed. And they had to reshoot, the, essentially reshoot, reshot most of the film. Um, they never explained the details as to why. But I would like to see what was in the first draft. Because what came out is actually quite a simple, still a quite simple film. So I, I think it might have been a, a technique issue i'm not sure but uh, i also think that the bobby Sue character bobby Sue, plays a doctor that that the sean yu character hits on once and then um it becomes kind of a gives him caution tells him to be careful as a driver and then she shows up a doctor she only has like three scenes and i think that she might have been what was cut in the first from the first uh first version i'm not sure And I would like to know what happened, Um, but we'll never know because, um, you know, the thing of Hong Kong cinema is that once they, they, I'm sure they have a lot of deleted scenes, but the thing of Hong Kong cinema is, you know, you never get, you never know the true story until years and years and years later. Um, I know that some people might compare this to Drive just because it came out year after Drive, but let's not do that comparison, okay? Drive and Initial D, they have driving as an excuse. Drive especially has an excuse. It's just... Using as excuse for violence and mayhem, dressed in a leather jacket, it's just cool. When it's never really about driving, but Motorway is the real deal. It is a driving movie. It's about cars. It is shot. It is shot like a car movie. It is about cars, and I'm not sure how real... I'm um, because I, I I like I'm not car enthusiast so to speak. So I'm 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 not sure how. Um, real car enthusiasts would deal with the f- film but the movie is so em- emphasized about driving is that they'll either get really outraged by the inaccuracies or they'll be really passionate about it because it is so accurate I'm not sure but there are no because it's the movie is so much about driving that there won't be a middle ground I think mm. um it is drier than what I might expect um Chan is not a he's made kind of a quiet film here it is um it has a lot of car uh, car engine rumbling and some music um but it's not really a uh, a, a, a kinetic movie it's not a quick movie, it's quite slow sometimes, it is quite quiet at times um, the, the story is told very precisely, in a very precise manner there's not, there's no fat it's only 89 minutes long so it's a, it's a very efficient story um, and the fact that it looks really good is icing on the cake I'm just really appreciative that there's finally a good uh, movie, a Hong Kong film where you know, um, that's precisely told, efficiently told and it looks good and I'm so thankful that I think I like it more than I should hmm. so um, I would say see it, I'm going to watch it again and I want to see rumbling seats here at the uh, the grand cinema here in Hong Kong uh, and look forward to seeing it again and I recommend it it's, I think it's one of the best films of the year of course
0: Alright, excellent, I look forward to seeing it Alright, I think it's time to move on and uh, talk about our West Screen films East Screen West Screen All right, uh, looks like our chat room uh, finally came back up, but nobody's in there <laughs> because it's been down for so long. Uh, for West Green this week, we have uh, one film to talk about, and that is What to Expect When You're Expecting. Uh, this film is directed by uh, Kirk Jones, um, who's uh, worked on um, a couple of films, uh, Nanny McPhee, uh, Everybody's Fine, "Waking Ned Divine." Doesn't have a huge uh, filmography in terms of his background, but he's got a couple films over there. I, pretty big fan of uh nanny mcphee myself uh, i like both uh, both of the mo- of those movies um what to expect when you're expecting is a a, a series of uh, vignette style stories that follow uh, uh five different couples living in atlanta uh who go through <coughs> the process of uh childbirth basically uh, in in different forms um one couple is played uh by um uh cameron diaz and um uh, matthew morrison uh karen diaz plays uh she plays a i guess sort of like a an exer a reality tv host she's like um I, I guess she's like um one of these uh shows about losing weight like biggest loser or something um she has a a, a, sh- a version of a show like that where she's like the coach you know she's like the high-powered executive coach she's also because of her status she's on a uh uh, a contestant on a celebrity dance show, um, like, like Dancing with the Stars or something. Um, and uh, her partner is also her dance instructor for that show. Uh, and they come to find out that she's expecting and she's going to be having a baby. And she plans on carrying her baby to term while doing her show. So She's going to keep doing her show about weight loss while being pregnant. Um, Jennifer Lopez stars as a, as, a, as another couple with her partner as uh, a woman named Holly she cannot uh, get pregnant she has difficulty conceiving so they decide they're going to do the uh, Madonna approach and adopt the baby from south uh, somewhere in in southern Africa I think it was southern Africa they're going to adopt the baby from Africa um, and of course uh, there's a lot of different uh, tensions and red tape and, and problems that go with that and um Her situation gets a bit tricky when, uh, because of the economic situations, uh, she ends up losing her job, so they have economic concerns as well. Um, Elizabeth Banks plays, uh, Wendy Cooper, uh, who becomes pregnant, and she's, uh, sort of a, uh, she runs a, a, sort of a a mom shop selling uh, baby goods, but she's never had a baby herself, and she writes a book about things like breastfeeding, um, trying to be, uh, uh, try, you know, that tries to tell teach kids about breastfeeding. It's kind of funny, um, but it's you know she's one of these so-called experts who doesn't really have any experience in the whole situation. And so uh, as she comes to term herself, she starts to find that uh, things are not always peachy in the world of pregnancy. Um, and then there, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's another couple played by, uh, um, <clears throat> and her husband uh, is um, Ben Falcone. So he plays her husband, and he's he's kind of funny, and and he's got problems with his dad, uh, who's played by Dennis Quaid, who I haven't seen in ages, uh, in a film. Um, and his dad has a young wife who's like younger than 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 uh, than Gary is, um, and they're pregnant too. So uh, he's his dad's going to be having a baby at the same time that his wife is having a, or his dad's wife is having a baby at the same time his wife is having a baby. Um, And so then uh, the final couple is played by uh, Anna Kendrick uh, as Rosie, who meets an old flame um, from, uh, I guess they they knew each other from college or high school. They're both food truck owners um, and they have a sort of a one night thing together as they try and rekindle the flame and she ends up getting pregnant as a result and dealing with her pregnancy. So basically five different couples in Atlanta, Uh, a couple (laughs) of them are related and they're all dealing with pregnancy. So, yeah, as I tweeted a while back, I'm kind of living this at the moment. Um, I was kind of going into this thinking it was going to be a little bit more, I don't know, down to earth, but funny. And it's kind of funny in places, but it's a little bit too slapstick for, for kind of what I was expecting. Um, it's, got, it's got some funny moments. There are a lot of funny cameos. Chris Rock is in it. I love Chris Rock. And he's, he leads this thing called the Dudes Group. Um, which is all these guys, you know, these former, former dudes who now have kids and, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the, they're, they're these guys who will tell you of, you know, uh, don't have kids, don't have kids, but they love their kids kind of a thing. Um, and they wouldn't give their kids up for anything. They kind of miss their old lives, but they don't want to go back to their old lives. And the dudes group is, you know, they, they kind of highlight that in the trailer. Um, but it really doesn't take up much of the film. It's really only a couple scenes. Um, but basically because it's a vignette of stories not all the stories are really that interesting and that's part of the i mean you'll probably connect with a couple of the stories based on who you like if you like Cameron Diaz um or if you you know if you like um Jennifer Lopez you'll probably be more interested in following along with their stories actually any one of these stories could have been broadened out to be sort of a more full aspect of a feature film in and of itself so instead, we just get these smaller stories, and they're never really that fulfilling, um, on on their own, because they're not as well developed as the, as they could be. Uh, the one story that I was really really interested in was the story of uh, Rosie, played by Anna Kendrick, um, which unfortunately fell flat because of very typical Hollywood uh, plotting uh, that that kind of goes in a, in a you know in, in an unhappy way. I don't want to spoil anything. But it was so predictable um, from the get-go that it, I, I was kind of saying, I wish they would have done something a little bit more interesting and a little bit more original with her, because I really like her as an actress. I think she's cute. I think she's talented. Um, I, you know, I liked her in Scott Pilgrim. I loved her in in Up in the Air. And I, you know, I look forward to seeing uh, more of her. And I really wanted to see more of her here. And unfortunately, I didn't get uh, everything that I was expecting out of her story. Um, there are a few serious moments, as I mentioned, but a lot of it's just overshadowed by the silliness of it all. Um, you know, for example, there's a golf cart race at one point where one of the racers ends up crashing through a pool, a pool bar and into a pool. And I'm thinking, what am I watching, Caddyshack? I mean, <laughs> what, what, what is this, Animal House? Um, at one point, you know, women are delivering babies and one woman, woman sneezes. And she goes, Achoo! and her baby comes out. I'm like, What <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, you're like, "Oh, I wish yeah I said, <laughs> I, you know that's just not not reality, of course, my wife was very hopeful at that point um, <laughs> but uh yeah we, we're we're not expecting that it's that it's going to be that easy um so it 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 kind of moves back and forth along this spectrum of a couple nice moments, a couple funny parts, a couple serious parts." But a lot of really, uh, maybe too, too silly, too much silliness in some places to make the whole thing sort of cohesive and, and, and ultimately enjoyable. Um, you know, that the, there's a gag with uh, Chris Rock and, and his, he's got like two twin girls and that are babies. And and he's got a son who's like, I want to say maybe four. And you know, the, the son is always like getting fallen down and getting knocked around and hurt. And like he, one point they throw a, they throw a can, a beer can or something, and like a football, and it ends up hitting, hitting him in the head, and they're just thinking, oh my gosh, this is, you know, they're, they're reducing this poor kid to sort of a stooge-style slapstick humor, Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, if you are in my situation, and you are expecting any time within the current year, or you've recently expected, you will find some merit in this film, so uh, TV, at, you know, at, at the very least, uh, it's got a couple, a couple things in there that you'll probably relate to and probably get a kick out of. Uh, Kevin, I don't think you're probably gonna be watching this anytime soon, right?
1: Uh, d- um, never. No, well, no. Um, <laughs> never
0: say never, my friend.
1: Never say never, maybe in a, in a few years, hopefully, yeah, if I'm few lucky. Years. If I, if I do my job right, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh.
1: Or if not so right, then maybe next, next, next month. I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh. Timelines can be uh, can be unfortunate things in some cases, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: those Knockwood, knock wood. no, yeah. hopefully nothing. nothing. Knockwood
0: or China Wood, I don't know, <laughs> some kind of wood, right? All right, uh, so that is our West Green film for this week. Let us move on and talk a little bit about uh, video. The East is blue. Wait, what? All right, so Kevin, you have a video pick for us this week, and that is the hong kong blu-ray of the film double tap
1: that's right uh double tap um not it is actually an action movie not not what you think it is uh not the yeah not the always sort of movie that i don't own at all the the, the, the what movie <laughs> the, never mind <laughs> okay Double not have this wait a minute is, i mean, now, I mean wait, when you say double
0: tap to me i'm thinking of the zombie land rule right
1: Really? You were thinking about that? I was thinking about the... Uh, never okay. Right. I'm not getting into <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Double Tap is the, uh, the action film from the year 2000, uh, directed by Lot Chi Leung, who would also go on to direct um, uh, Leslie Churn, I think, in Inner Senses, which came after that. Um is is co-written and produced by Derek E. Um, and this movie also gave way to um, the Alex Fong's um, recurring character in uh, One Night Mong and also was a triple tap, triple tap. Yes, yes. Um, So this is the where it all started. Um, the film stars Leslie Cheung as a, a gun enthusiast uh, who who goes crazy after accidentally or essentially killing killing a, a criminal on the on the gun range. Uh, and then becomes a, a psychotic murderer uh, that has to be stopped by Officer Mew, played by Alex Fong. Uh, so it becomes kind of a, a battle of two two sharpshooters. Uh, and it's, I remember this being quite an intense action film, and it's quite a good... Actually, This intent uh, And Leslie has a really good performance in it. I think he might have been nominated for an award. But uh, anyway, the film has been out for 12 years, and it was um, early this year, Golden Harvest digitally remastered the film, and played it on uh, August- April 1st, which is the anniversary of Leslie Cheung's death. So uh, knowing that th- that version exists, we knew that a Blu-ray was coming, and it did came la- and it did come last week. So I'm holding a copy right here, and I was just checking it out. I didn't watch the entire film, but I looked at the print, and yes, it does look very digitally remastered. It looks quite clean for a Hong Kong movie that was made 12 years ago and probably wasn't kept properly. Um, However the, the, the a little disappointing is the soundtrack. Uh it is it does come with a um DTS HD master audio seven point one, but it is for a gun movie actually it, it's quite weak. Some of the gunshots are strong, but you have that very post production produce sound that you know it's not really a good sa- you're not you're not really watching a movie for the sound sadly for a movie about gun enthusiasts you expect um, a little better audio uh, I watched I first watched this movie uh, kind of on a mono in a, chi- in a in a Chinatown theater in Hong Kong I mean in San Francisco so I remember the sound was mono so I don't remember much about having really particularly good sound mix but uh, here in surround it's not quite good but at least it's cleaned up it looks very good um, for a fortune star release or a Cameron Rossen release um, it doesn't come with any extras, it's just a trailer, uh, which means the original uh, DVD extras did not get carried over, possibly due to rights and whatever. Who knows? But uh, if you don't own this movie yet and you're wondering about the transfer of the film, I can t- I can assure you that at least vi- visually it looks very nice. Uh, and if you are a um, fan of Leslie and um, this uh, you haven't seen the film, it's actually a very good action. It is kind of violent, but it's a very good action film, and I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, this is um you know i've I've read some some articles or or some comments in the past that have attributed this in inner senses um, as being sort of the dark phase of you know leslie and and having an influence on him um, in, in terms of depression and things like that, which some people have said could have possibly attributed to his suicide.
1: Yes, especially Inner Senses, which came uh, I think a year or two after. Yeah. And uh, and it really did mess with his mind. And here in Double Tap he has, uh, Leslie is a very intense scene where he goes I always remember that scene because um I don't know, because it's memorable. Um uh, but yeah, he where he kinda goes crazy on his own and he's in this really dark red light and obviously he's very devoted into this role. Um this I think people more attribute to Inner Census, uh attribute inner senses to his mental, possibly in mental condition after that than then Double Tap. But yes, um, this is one of the more Leslie for Because, uh, I mean, intense.
0: before this role, he was, you know, always sort of an idol character, a hero character. I'm thinking of, you know, um, Bride with White Hair. Um, of course, you know, some of his idol roles, you know, Stand Behind the Yellow Line and, and others. Um, he had not played a villain before. This, one. this might
1: have been one of his first villain roles. Yes, yeah. yes, I think so. Um, uh, and it is. I, I will always remember this one as more and Even though you know, let's face, let's, let's see, is a a glorious overactor, and he he is, and he he gloriously overacts in a way that's perfect for the big screen. I think that makes him a larger than life uh, figure. But yeah, here he kind of takes it up a notch than his usual, you know, overacting, and it kind of goes into quite intense territory. So yes, this is a very Intense Leslie performance. So anyone who who's you know looking for the the charismatic uh, legendary Leslie might not get it here. Yeah.
0: Now you mentioned that the uh, DVD had some special features.
1: Yes, uh, as as far as I remember, yeah, I don't. I didn't only renew DVD. They
0: didn't make it over, so um,
1: they, it is. Uh, yeah, a DVD is getting re-released. I think uh, mm-hmm. with this copy of this transfer, I think in the upcoming week or two, and it's it will be quite cheap as a sixty something Hong Kong dollars retail price. So if you don't have a Blu-ray player, and you don't have to have to move on DVD. You can wait a week or two mm-hmm. and then uh, get a cheaper DVD copy.
0: Or if you're just somebody who's more interested in special fe- features and extras than the presentation quality you might want to consider holding off and seeing if those features are available on uh, the new version i think the old version is not out of print you can still find it around um right. and you could probably uh, i don't know if you guys have it on uh still have the old version over at uh, yes asia but I, I think you'd probably find it quite easily on uh, ebay and i know you can find it uh, here locally in local shops still okay All right. I think that's going to do it. Uh, Let me throw in our final bumper. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. folks i think that's gonna wrap things up for our episode this week uh of course uh if you'd like to be part of the show you can contact us here at kongcast that's k-o-n-g-c-a-s-t.com uh or you can drop by itunes uh, leave us a review over there if you really like the show you could leave us a five-star review um but if there are things you'd like to improve we'll take anything uh that you got um you can also follow us on twitter twitter.com slash for the show Twitter.com slash FoxLore for me, although I haven't been tweeting much in recent days, Um, and Twitter.com slash TheGoldenRock to follow Mr. Ma and his uh, very informative and frequent updates about all things going on in Hong Kong and China cinema. Uh, If you'd like to contact us directly at the show, you can email us at eastscreen uh, at gmail.com and uh, if you still want to send us a short uh, audio file a short review some questions uh, we might just play that here on the show uh, keep it short and sweet and uh, it'll be, all be good if you are itunes averse you can always catch us on stitcher listen to us on your iphone your android phone your blackberry your web os phone stitcher is smart radio for your phone find it in your app store or at stitcher.com stitcher smart radio it's the smarter way to listen to radio we thank them for their support of our show Uh, Additional thanks go out to Rob Govers of Snauser Studios for our theme. Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for keeping us out at movie nights. Uh, Kevin for sticking with me for 113-plus shows. Um, The podcast on fire, guys, especially Sleazy K, just for being sleazy. And, of course, you, the listeners, uh, you make this show fun to do, and we like the fact that you like listening. Next show, episode 114... Uh, we're gonna talk about what?
1: Um, Shadows of Love, I think. Shadows uh, the of Love. You see movie and the Bounty starring uh, Toe and mm-hmm. uh and, and Fino Sid.
0: Yeah. Um. Nothing... There are eight
1: movies coming out, so there's there's plenty of movies to talk about.
0: Yeah. The West screen nothing super exciting. I'm thinking of going seeing those salmon fishing in the Yemen. That looks like it might be uh, okay. Uh, something I might enjoy. So we might talk about that next week as well. Um, All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week, everybody.